everyone, welcome back to the Finnish Bros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester, joined as always by Mike Taglier, and we are going to talk breakout candidates today with Pat Fitzmorris. He's the host of Fitz on Fantasy Podcast and contributor at the Football Girl. Pat is on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Tags and I are at Mike Taglier NFL and at Bobby Fantasy Pro. Pat, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Bobby and Tags, so good to talk to you guys again. Uh, Tags, we got to figure out when we're going to play golf again, and we mm-hmm. also have to see if we can talk Bobby into driving up to join us. Hey, man, we get Lou Malnati's pizza. I am game, and you know that. <laughs> oh, pizza and golf. There's not a better day than that. I'm sure there'd be a few beverages on the golf course as well. Well, you have to start it with pizza at lunch, then golf, and then a Brazilian steakhouse. No, I won't want to golf after I eat pizza. <laughs> okay, yeah, that doesn't sound especially good in the heat of the summer. Especially not if it's at some U.S. Open length course that, uh, like the one we played the first time around, Tags. I was thinking yeah. like par three or something, man. Yep, that might be better. I'm not a powerhouse like Tags. I can't hit the ball 500 yards with my eight iron. Yeah, that's uh, it. We, we're playing a course with like a 600 yard par five and like a 590 yard uphill par five. And you know, yeah, sure. elevation <laughs> changes all over the place. Here's Tags hitting the green in two and I'm playing my old man game, hitting like three shots as as far as I can hit him and still over a hundred yards away from the green. But that's when I hit it straight. It's fortunately his third shot was probably a hundred and fifty yards over the green into the woods. So you, you probably were fine. <laughs> Maybe off to the right too. Yeah. <laughs> okay guys, so we did a crowdsourcing thing. So what I mean by this is on Twitter at Fantasy Bros, we asked about two thousand people who they thought was most likely to break out among these running backs. So I want your answer, Pat, and I want you guys to guess who the crowd voted and it was pretty substantial uh 52 percent voted for the number one answer so carry on johnson Kenyon drake Tariq cohen or darius geis pat who was your pick and who do you think the public picked i would think i'll say the same for both i think carry on is the guy for both tags what do you think i, I think that the public would have said carry on for sure and me among those guys, I mean, if I had to pick one of those guys, I'd probably say it's Carrion. I think Kenyon Drake would be a close second, though. All right. So, Pat, why, why do you think Carrion? I think that they want to run in Detroit. You know, and I know they've shown sort of an annoying uh, tendency to want to go with a committee there. But I do think Carrion is like far and away the best option they have. And like he really surprised me last year. Like just he totally passed the eye test with flying colors. And he's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, he is, man. And and just watching him in college, I thought he was okay. I thought he was going to be like a decent rotational back. But like I did not think he had bell cow potential. And uh, I kind of think he does now. You know, uh, the reason I can't go with Kerryon Johnson here is because I think his upside is limited, primarily because he says himself that he's not a bell cow. He says he's not even a three down back. So, you know, I'm wondering if the Lions think it's possible if Kerryon Johnson is even saying, eh, that's not really who I am. Tariq Cohen, same thing. Darius Geis, I don't even know if he's going to start. I think it's Adrian Peterson this year, guys. Um, and I've been getting a lot of shares in him in best ball. Did you hear Adrian Peterson saying, this year I'm going to get 2,000 rushing yards? I mean, he was good in select samples, but he just doesn't have the legs for that anymore. I saw that, man. I, I think he's got some upside if he is, in fact, the starter. And I think they're going to take it kind of slow with Darius Geis. But eventually it's going to be, you know, after six weeks or something, I think it's going to be a, a timeshare. For me, it's it's Kenyon Drake. Just because it's the unknown of Miami, what's going to happen there? He's got a lot of potential. It's not a very good offense. So I don't see him being a, a top five upside guy. But I could see him being an RB1 if they use him in the right way. I just don't know if the Lions 
would use Kerryon Johnson that way. Do I think Kerryon Johnson's better? Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think Kenyon Drake has more upside because of the potential volume. And you're right. Kerryon Johnson, 52%. Darius Geis, 26%, which surprised me. 13% to Kenyon Drake and 9% to Tariq Cohen. And Drake no longer has the man keeping him down, the man in this case being Adam Gase, of course. So uh, maybe he can breathe a little bit in that offense finally and get the chance we all thought he deserved after he was just going great guns at the end of 2017. Yeah, neither does uh, Devontae Parker, and I guess you guys have been seeing that he's tearing up OTAs right now, as always. We've heard that before, and the thing is, is I, I've seen I've seen glimpses on film. I, I'm just saying, like, I think that people continually just – talk about the old coaching staff too much and how it held players back does Kenyon Drake suck because Adam Gase wouldn't play him no he doesn't he's actually I would actually argue that Kenyon Drake might be more talented than Carrion Johnson I think it's close I think Carrion undervalues his own skill set he is a three down back but he doesn't want to be a workhorse there's a reason they brought in CJ Anderson uh they tried to sign Malcolm Brown you know like there's warning signs about Carrion Johnson which is why I think Kenyon Drake is easily the most talented running back on his team and that's why I think him but the issue with him is that he plays in a bad offense uh Josh Rosen reportedly looks like crap in practice. Um, their offensive line is very, very shoddy, uh, which is, I don't really like any of those guys to necessarily break out, but I think that carry on and, and Kenyon Drake can be solid, like RB2 type players. You know, Josh Rosen, for all the crap he gets, he's still just 22 years old. I mean, what was Tom Brady doing when he was 22 years old? He was starting at Michigan. He wasn't in the NFL. So I think it's not really fair to say Josh Rosen's a bust. And I'm not putting words in your mouth, Tags. I know that's not what you were saying. I just think the Dolphins need to give him a chance, put him out there, see what they have, and maybe even do it for two years because he's still so young. I'm sure Pat agrees on this one is that he was considered to be pro ready. He was, he was the quarterback coming out of college that everyone expected to be, you know, at least, uh, you know, a game manager at that point where something, and you, you hope for a little bit more. I think, I don't think anybody ever envisioned the ceiling for Josh Rosen to be like an Aaron Rodgers type quarterback. It was more of like, can he be a Matt Ryan? I think that was the, what, what I think the ceiling was for Josh Rosen, but he was supposed to be pro ready. Whereas someone like, you know, like Mitch Trubisky, uh, or Sam Darnold, these guys were going to take some more time to develop. Uh, Uh, But Rosen is just... It's been disappointing from the get-go, and I think part of it comes down to the fact that he's played behind a terrible offensive line in, in Arizona with a bad head coach, and now he went to Miami with an, another terrible offensive line, and he's playing for a first-year head coach that, you know, the offense isn't going to be very – it's not going to be sophisticated. Uh, they're not going to do a whole lot. So I just – I think he was put in a crappy situation. Yes, I really, really do, and I, I don't want to label him a bust, but at the same time, he was supposed to be pro-ready. Sure. I mean, that that's true. I just imagine if he was behind Tom Brady in New England right now, we haven't seen him whatsoever. Whoever, 22 years old, all this potential, everyone would still be so excited. Yeah, I'm with Bobby here. I mean, it might be Rosen reaching his mid to late 20s before he gets like a truly fair shot someplace. I mean, first the guy enters the... Kind of like we said with Sam Bradford and it never really happened. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, that was so injury related. Well, then it happened because he had a new offensive coordinator for five straight seasons and he was hurt all the time. Right. And we're already seeing that sort of, uh, you know, multi-system setback for Rosen and the systems he's in. He's got like a terrible supporting cast, um, you know, and, and now he's playing for a team that I think would happily take to uh, with the first pick in next year's draft and, and send him to yet another different team. So um, hopefully at some point he'll find his niche and settle in somewhere and, and get a fair shot at playing with a decent supporting cast. Absolutely. So guys, Father's Day is coming up. And uh, as you know, it's very hard to shop for your father sometimes because 
You know, what What do they want? They like sports. That's about it. They get whatever they want. But you can go to pristineauction.com and find a great gift there. If you check out Pristine Auction, everything's guaranteed authentic from only the most trusted sources. There are hundreds of items to bid up every single day. You're going to find some great values, too. I saw a Kyler Murray signed Cardinals helmet. Went for 127 bucks yesterday. Uh, if you want to go a little bit cheaper, you can get one of the mini helmets or a signed jersey or something like that. Like Aaron Donald, best defensive player in the NFL, signed mini helmet for $75. That look great in your dad's cave check out what they have for you at pristineauction.com and guys please help us out we've got something new at pristine auction it's called a registration code it's a field of the registration page it just says you know who referred you to us if you can just put fantasy pros in there fantasy pros all one word it'll let them know that hey we're sending people to your site that way we can keep doing these contests like the one we have going on right now we're giving away a signed juju smith schuster steelers helmet this bad boy is going to go to one of our listeners who enters the contest takes about 30 seconds where you can give us an honest rating and review. That way we know how to make the podcast better for you or keep doing things that you like. And that's fantasypros.com slash contest. And check out pristineauction.com while you're at it. And when you guys mention us uh, in that registration code link, when you guys mention us there, you're actually going to get $5 credit from them as well. So just a little bonus for you guys for doing that. Yeah, that'll certainly be helpful as well. All right, guys, so let's get right into it. We're going to go with breakout candidates and we're starting at running back. Last show, we started with quarterback and it... Uh, you know, we spent too much time on quarterback, so we didn't get to the more important positions, running back and wide receiver. And Pat, we're going to let you go first. Who's a running back you could see breaking out this season? All right. I'm going to go with kind of a deep pull here. It's Justin Jackson of the Chargers. And he's a third stringer right now, but I think he could come to relevance with an injury to either Melvin Gordon or Austin Eckler. And we're talking about two dudes who uh, have been banged up in the past. Melvin Gordon's had some knee issues, uh, microfracture surgery a couple of years ago. Eckler missed some time last year and is just kind of a tiny guy. Jackson was a workhorse at Northwestern, so like he can either sort of play that every down role or he could be sort of playing the pass catching role that Eckler plays. Um, and I, I think this Charger offense has the potential to be really run heavy this year because I think they have just a killer defense and I think they're going to be presented with a lot of favorable game scripts. The offensive line is much better at run blocking than pass blocking. And, you know, they've got kind of a senior citizen immobile quarterback who uh, is at his best when he's not under a lot of pressure, I think, and, uh, you know, deserves to be protected at this uh, latter stage in his career. So there's the potential if, if Jackson gets just a little crack that he can shimmy through to get some playing time. And, and we saw it last December when he, uh, started. I think that was that week 14 where he was like the, uh, waiver wire darling and was instantly starting playoff games for so many people and wound up going for like, I think 80 or 90 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. Yeah, that was, I think that was like the, uh, the debut start for both him and maybe Damien or like Damien's second start. So there were so many people starting Damien and Justin Jackson as that always happened. The Tim Hightower days, right? Every single fantasy playoffs, you've got these guys. Exactly. So, um, I like him as a kind of a sleeper. You know, I don't know if he's draftable in your typical 12 team, 16, uh, man roster league, but he's a guy to keep an eye on for sure. So what about best ball leagues? Are you getting some shares right now? Yeah, like he's been a favorite end of the draft pick for me, like the last pick before I, you know, grab my second or third defense. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of Malcolm Brown, Tony Pollard, but Justin Jackson, he's right in that range for me of guys that 
that I would like. Um, I'm just worried about Austin Eckler because of what we saw last year. Like when Melvin Gordon went down, they, they tried to make Austin Eckler a workhorse. Tags, do you think they would make, I would say that mistake again, or do you think they would turn to Justin Jackson as the primary guy and just keep Austin Eckler in his role if Melvin Gordon went down? No, I think they learned their lesson. I, I really do. Uh, I remember that was that London game where they pulled Melvin Gordon, uh, and they, you know, they decided to sit him for that game and they gave Eckler the role. I think it was against Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe he just knew the playbook more, had worked with the first offense, so they were like, we trust him a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm sure they were trying to push him into that role, but it didn't work. And like I think they realized from that point forward, I know Eckler was a little dinged up towards the end of the year, but at the same time, I think they realized that he's just not that type of player. They want to keep him in that eight to twelve uh touch role. And so if something were to happen to Melvin Gordon, Justin Jackson is the handcuff. I think that he's more of a handcuff. I think Eckler has standalone value, even in redraft leagues. If you if you're playing like a PPR format, I think Eckler has value. Uh but like the upside in terms of like who has potential like superstar power I think Justin Jackson absolutely in that offense um, the offensive line has been getting better the defense has gotten light years better Philip Rivers isn't asked to do as much so they're going to run the football and Justin Jackson he proved capable at the end of last year so I like it I don't know if Philip Rivers is going to be asked to do much but he really doesn't have to if he's got you know Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and he can pass the ball to Melvin Gordon I think Philip Rivers is still going to get his and I think Melvin Gordon maybe takes a little bit of a backseat this year not you know, he's still going to be a workhorse. He's still a top five or six fantasy running back, but I'm not sure it's going to be as heavy as it was last year, especially since their offensive line is healthy now. Um, now, I really like this call, Pat. I'm looking at guys who have been breakout running backs in the past, and I know a lot of people are going to cringe when they think, Justin Jackson, come on, like he's not going to break. Running back number three. Look at the guys in the past couple years, right? Alvin Kamara was the running back three going into the season. Kareem Hunt. James Conner. I mean, who saw these guys coming? Uh, Chris Carson, Philip Lindsay. A lot of these guys are just kind of like, well, you know, blah. I, I don't really see that. I mean, I guess there was upside with Alvin Kamara. There was upside with Kareem Hunt. That's why, you know, when uh, Spencer Ware went down, we were drafting Kareem Hunt in the third round. If we had known Le'Veon Bell would sit out the whole year, we would have drafted uh, James Conner in the third round. But a lot of these guys are just guys at the end of the depth chart that get a chance in a good offense, and then they take off. And so Daryl Henderson would be a guy like that, right? But he's not going to be drafted. He's going to be drafted in like that fifth round with the way things are going. Uh, Malcolm Brown would be a guy like that. Um, but there's also other types of breakout running backs, right? Tags like James White was a breakout running back last year. You could say Christian McCaffrey was. He was drafted at the end of the first round. He returned, what was he, the third best fantasy player last year? Yeah, it's tough to like to say those guys that have already had those 18 touch rolls are, are like breakout. But I understand what you're saying in regards to like there's different tiers of breakout players, right? Like there's a player that's being drafted as like the RB25 that has top five upside. That's a different type of breakout. Whereas Christian McCaffrey was more like he was considered like a low end RB1 and then he escalated, you know, he broke out and, and now he's considered a top three running back. Um, so there's just different levels. Is that who your guy is? Someone who's being drafted at RB25 that could be that? I have different levels, honestly. Like, so I could start at any point you want me to. Give us whatever you're most passionate about, man. Go for it. Passionate. Let's, let's start with this conversation that I, I really wanted to have it on the podcast because it was a big thing on my Twitter yesterday and it aggravated the crap out of me. Um, so I, I put out a tweet basically saying that unless Todd Gurley retires, there is no reason that you should be drafting Daryl Henderson in the top eight rounds. Yes. Come on. Yes. It's gotten to the point where people like legitimately, I've seen him in best ball drafts go as high as the fifth, sixth round. I've had people, uh, on Twitter telling me that they've seen him go as high as the third or fourth round in drafts because people are worried about Todd Gurley. And yeah, it's, it's not like there's a chance he's going to be, I mean, I, he could get hurt and be out for the season, but it's not like that's what we're worried about. It's. He might split touches with Daryl Henderson and still be the lead back. Well, that's where I'm going with it is that, is that there's a few things here, right? One, you're, you're basically saying that, yeah, Todd Gurley's hurt and he's not going to play. If Todd Gurley, 
hurt himself at the end of last year and he is still not right by week one, he probably should consider retirement because that means he's never going to get better. This is my belief. I don't know. I don't have any connection with team doctors, nothing like that. I don't talk to Todd Gurley, but what I can tell you, my belief is that Todd Gurley has arthritis in his knee. We all have arthritis in some way. It affects some more than others. Todd Gurley, they're going to manage it. They are going to cut back his workload a little bit. I think that they drafted Daryl Henderson to make sure they had a backup that they felt was competent to at least handle the passing down work because Malcolm Brown is not that guy. Now, however, so, so one, you're assuming that Todd Gurley is going to miss time. There's no, that's not going to, I don't think that's going to happen. Two, you're assuming that Daryl Henderson is going to walk into a workhorse role if Todd Gurley does go down. Again, you're drafting a handcuff in the top eight rounds when their starter's still on the board. You're getting guys like, I literally got Alshon Jeffrey the other day in the eighth round. I'm not taking Daryl Henderson over Alshon Jeffrey. Like, so it's like, Malcolm Brown is there. You know, the, they did match the offer sheet from the Lions, and I know that that was prior to the draft, and that's going to factor into everything. They drafted John Kelly last year. Bobby and I made this mistake last year, and the, the help us learn from this, okay, is that we talked about John Kelly as a potential breakout, a sleeper, if you will, because we wanted whoever was going to be a part of that offense. Let's talk about the events that occurred, okay? Todd Gurley was the workhorse. There was no role for John Kelly. Todd Gurley gets hurt. Malcolm Brown comes in and starts playing. And it's like, wait a minute, we thought John Kelly was the guy. Why is Malcolm Brown getting it? Because Malcolm Brown was really, really good as, as a back playing in the backup role. Then Malcolm Brown gets hurt and it's like, okay, it's John Kelly time. They go out and they sign CJ Anderson and John Kelly's just kind of mixed in here and there and passing down work. I'm not saying that Daryl Henderson is John Kelly because they obviously spent more equity to get him, but don't come in my mentions and tell me that Daryl Henderson is Alvin Kamara because that is exactly what people have told me. They said, Oh, he's going to be the Camara of McVay's offense. When has there been a Camara in Sean McVay's offense? Please tell me, because it's been Todd Gurley, one of the most elite running backs in the NFL. Stop taking for granted what Todd Gurley has done with Sean McVay. I'm not saying McVay's offense isn't great, and it's not all that. If you told me that Daryl Henderson was going to get the 25 touches a game that Todd Gurley got, I'll be right there with you drafting Daryl Henderson in the second round. But I'm not. I mean, Todd Gurley was Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara last year combined. Like, he had 313 fantasy points, people. I get so worked up about this because it's like the, the reports on Todd Gurley have gone so far the other way. If you let Todd Gurley fall to me in the third round, I'll take him there every time. I'll take him in the second round. Yeah, me too, man. And and the year before that, he was 60 points ahead of number two, Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. He's been just absolutely dominant. And you know what? Arthritis, like... It's, it's painful, but you can play through that. It's not like he's risking further injury by playing. And so maybe he gets out there and he's just like, give me the ball. And he keeps dominating and they do it. Why, why would they not? Even if they cut back his workload, like let's say that instead of having 90, 10 to Gurley, maybe they go 70, 30. That's still, that's not enough for Henderson to be weekly viable. So you're essentially, you're drafting a handcuff is what you're doing. I happen to think it'd be a timeshare between Brown and Daryl Henderson. I think Henderson would get most of the passing down work, so he'd be a little bit more valuable, but Brown would get more of the goal line work. Pat, where do you stand on this? Because like, like I said, my, my, my Twitter mentions went to hell. I didn't realize so many people were so passionate about Daryl freaking Henderson, who was going, by the way, in the second round of rookie drafts. We're not talking about regular rookie drafts for dynasty. Only rookies. He was going in the second round and Todd Gurley is all of a sudden dead and Daryl Henderson is now being taken as like a top five pick in rookie drafts. Yeah. There's that famous quote about uh, the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets, like a famous investing quote. And uh, it seems like it's that time with Todd Gurley, you know, I, like I did my first pass at rankings during the NFL playoffs and 
you know, back then I, I was nervous about the girly knee thing. And at that point, maybe a lot of people still would have had Gurley as a top four running back. And I, you know, being nervous about that put in behind Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell, uh, even Joe Mixon. And it, it felt kind of radical at the time to put him at like RB8 or wherever I had him. And, uh, you know, then with the knee thing, the news just seemingly got worse and worse and worse. But man, how much worse could it get? And, and like Tag said, you know, there's there will have been all this time for him to recover. It's not like he's dealing with ligament damage or anything like that. It's, you know, a, a, maybe even if it's a degenerative condition, it's not something that's going to wreck his career right away. And, uh, you know, I, I just can't drop him below RB1 territory. Does he still have RB number one upside, Pat? Oh, I think so for sure. I mean, right now I've got him at like RB11 or RB12. So right around like in the, the bottom RB1 wrong along with like Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb. And then I think there's a big drop off to like the, the Damian Williams, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones. You know, that's those guys are kind of RB2s for me. And I think there's kind of a steep tier drop. But Gurley is still in that first tier. And, um, you know, I just can't. I think there's going to be someone in every draft who just doesn't buy into the girly pessimism. So I can't see him sliding into third rounds of redraft drafts come August. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen. And, you know, I, I still think after all the pessimism, there might be some sort of bounce of optimism in, in August. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's still going, like, at least in the late first round. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, if you take Todd Gurley, 755 fantasy PPR points over the last two years, and you take 25% of those away. <laughs> so let's say Daryl Henderson gets in here. He's the RB3 right behind Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, he's been pretty remarkable, too. like historic good. And by the way, I just want to remind people, like Kyle Shanahan's a pretty good coach, right? You want running backs tied to Kyle Shanahan most of the time, right? Remember when Kyle Shanahan said he loved Joe Williams? Does everybody remember that? <laughs> remember that? Like, and, and he shot up rookie boards because everybody's like, oh, Kyle Shanahan said he loves him. He's going to start over Carlos Hyde. They're going to cut Carlos Hyde, as a matter of fact. I said, buy Carlos Hyde. And Joe Williams bust. And that was the guy that, remember, Shanahan loved. And now everybody's telling me McVay loves Daryl Henderson. Again, I'm not willing to write this guy off as a bust, but you telling me he's Alvin Kamara, you are out of your bleeping mind. I think it's possible. I mean, I'll side with them and say it's it's possible. It, under Sean McVay, C.J. Anderson was one of the best running backs in the league. And so Darrell Henderson, I think he's more talented than C.J. Anderson. Anderson ran for a 1,000 yards behind the Broncos' trash offensive line. You're right. And C.J. Anderson is good, but Darrell Henderson, he's a talented football player. It's possible, but Todd Gurley's in his way, so come on. Yeah, he he's fine. But uh, again, like people tell me he's, no, come on. Kamara is an outlier. So who's your breakout running back? Because we know it's not Daryl Henderson. <laughs> What's funny is I was going to put Daryl Henderson in there, but Daryl Henderson is a late round pick. Like he's a flyer is what he is. And flyers don't, you don't take flyers in the eighth round or the sixth round or fifth round or wherever people are going to end up taking Daryl Henderson. But I'm going to take another guy in this range. I'm going to talk about Justice Hill. I think Justice Hill might be the most talented running back on his team. I can't say that about Daryl Henderson. Todd Gurley's still the most talented running back. Justice Hill, uh, Mark Ingram's a fine running back. Like he's a, he's a no-nonsense runner. He's fine. Uh, like, and you know, he's 29, 30 years old now. So he's getting up there in age. He's moving to a new offense where he's been, when running backs get to play behind, you know, alongside Drew Brees and Sean Payton's offense, they're going to tend to look better. Like that's just not, that's just how it is, right? Going to Baltimore, Mark Ingram might struggle a little bit. He might, it might be a little bit one-dimensional, but I do know that they like his downhill style. 
but they did draft Justice Hill, a guy that reminds me a lot of like a Reggie Bush. I'm not saying he is Reggie Bush, but that's the type of player he is. He can be a three down player. He's best suited for a timeshare role, but he can carry a workload if you need him to. Playing alongside uh, Lamar Jackson, it's going to give opportunity. They're going to run the ball, you know, 35 times a game, and that's going to allow for opportunity for Justice Hill, even with Mark Ingram on the field, because Ingram, not, not the greatest pass catcher. Again, he's going to have a role, but Justice Hill has actual breakout potential where it's like, at the end of the year, if, if, if I saw Justice Hill, there's a top 24 running back, would it surprise me? Yeah, but is it like out of question? Absolutely not. I think he has a skill set to do it. What do you think about Justice Hill? Because I'm a fan, Pat. Yeah, I'm a fan too. And uh, kind of the same thing with uh, Justin Jackson, whereas even if Gus Edwards is number two to start and Ingram is number one, like an injury to either of those guys would open the door for Hill because as Tag said, I mean, they're going to run the ball so much there. I guess the only reservation I have about any of the Ravens backs is that with Lamar Jackson, a quarterback, just this mobile guy, like there aren't going to be a lot of passes for the backs. And we know that targets are more valuable than carries for running backs from a, a fantasy points perspective. And, uh, you know, that just, I think, kind of lowers the ceiling a little bit on all the Baltimore backs. But, um, you know, maybe it's it's mostly atoned for by all these extra carries they're going to get being such a run-heavy team. So um, I do like him. I do think there are going to be openings, uh, paths for him to get, touches and uh, I do like him as a prospect so I'm on board all right guys I've got four names for you I'm really going to break down one of them but uh, these are all backup running backs I really like Tony Pollard behind Ezekiel Elliott I think he'd be the dude in that Dallas offense Uh, Reichwell Armstead behind the fragile Leonard Fournette Reichwell Armstead reminds me of Chris Carson Jacksonville actually has a pretty good offensive line if they're healthy this year for once Uh, and then I'm going to go with Carlos Hyde we've talked about him before I, I know they're saying Damian Williams is the starter right now. We'll see if that keeps up. I think Carlos Hyde is more talented. Anyone in Andy Reid's offense would be awesome if they were the starting running back. And then my favorite guy, Latavius Murray. And I understand he's got a floor because he's going to be in that number two, you know, Mark Ingram role behind Alvin Kamara. But let me ask you guys this. If Alvin Kamara gets hurt in the preseason, he's out for the whole year. How high would you draft Latavius Murray tags? Uh, he'd be a top 10 running back. Top 10 running back. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, pretty close to that. He'd be flirting with that uh, running back one tier. Historically, over the last 10 years, running backs draft in the top 12 because of the volume they get. They've got a 30% chance of being out at least four games. They've got a one in six chance of going out for the entire season. There's a one in six chance Alvin Kamara is going to go out for the entire season and that Latavius Murray would be a top 10 fantasy running back. So yeah, I love his upside and I love his floor. And his game is speed and power and like not a lot of wiggle or elusiveness but he is now going to be running behind an offensive line that's one of the best in the league and has some dudes who can flat out road grade people so it seems like a really good fit for him so right now his adp is running back 38 tags i've got him at running back 24 wow I mean, I, the thing is, I'm not going to disagree with you. Like, I happen to believe that Latavius Murray is going to finish as a top 25 running back. I believe that's going to happen. It's just like, as long as he doesn't get hurt. Like, uh, he doesn't even need a Kamara injury to finish as a top 25 running back. But would I draft him as a top 25? Probably not, because I kind of know what I'm getting with him, and that's fine. You know, if you ask me would I rather have someone like Kenyon Drake, I'd take Drake over him. Just because I know there's there, there's a ceiling for more, where it's like... Latavius Murray, he's he's fine for what he is. He should not be falling outside the top 30 running backs, but I, I'm probably drafting him in that RB8 20 to 30 range. 
Mark Ingram was RB22 last year in ADP. What What's the difference here? Well, it's because he had the four-game suspension. Yeah, I mean, because he was a top 12 running back the year prior in that Saints offense, even with Alvin Kamara being what he was. Yeah, his ADP before he uh, got suspended for those four games, I remember Mark Ingram was being drafted right around RB 12 to 14 range. And then once the suspension hit, he dropped down and it was right around that 25 RB 25 range. And maybe that was because the Saints were just so insanely run heavy towards the end of that 2017 season. There was a sense that there was going to be enough for both uh, Kamara and Ingram to just really eat. And maybe that's the same way we saw that the Saints sort of shift back into run heavy mode a little bit late last year. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I like. I think maybe he should be going in the late 20s. I have him like running back 33 right now, and maybe that's a, a little below where he should be. Let me ask you guys about one guy who I have Murray ranked just ahead of, and uh, whether this guy is technically a breakout candidate or not. Jarek McKinnon. Like, since has he ever, I know he was close to a thousand yards from scrimmage season with the Vikings, but did he get there? I mean, is he possibly a breakout candidate since he's been grounded by injury and, you know, he's, he's got other traffic in that backfield to contend with? Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about San Francisco because I think all three of these guys can be considered breakout guys, right? I mean, if someone's starting in Shanahan's offense and he's actually getting the bulk of the carries, whether it's uh, McKinnon or, you know, even even Matt Breida, that's the guy that I would lean towards. A lot of people will say Tevin Coleman. He's being drafted the highest out of all these guys. But I think any three of them could feasibly be a top 12 fantasy running back. Tags, what do you think? Do you think it's just going to be a death? timeshare i think that mckinnon was miscast by the 49ers i think that he was brought in to be something he wasn't and now i think it's going to be a better role for him i think he's better suited in timeshare i don't think that he should ever be the lead back in an offense because he's just not that guy but as for the other guys like matt Breida, i don't understand the love for him man like he's going as the he's the fastest player in the nfl that's the love for him so right now the expert says is rb 43 okay i mean i'm not saying that's like crazy high territory but that's saying let's say he's like a very 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 high-end handcuff essentially but <laughs> Matt Breida last year, okay, last year without Tevin Coleman on the roster, with Jerick McKinnon on IR, he literally would lose carries to Alfred Morris and Raheem Mostert, okay? Be- he couldn't stay healthy at all. Kyle Shanahan has had him on the roster now for two years. He knows exactly the player he is. If he had faith in Matt Breida, getting Jerick McKinnon back should have been enough. But it wasn't. He went out and got Tevin Coleman. I think Matt Breida is a fine player. I think he's in a terrible spot. I don't think that Shanahan likes him very much. So as for the McKinnon thing... I think McKinnon could be somewhat of a Tariq Cohen if they use him in that way. Well, why do you think he can't be a workhorse? Because Devontae Freeman was a workhorse in Shanahan's offense. 5'8", 206. Jarek McKinnon, 5'9", 205. Because he doesn't look good in that role. Like, he's just not, he's not built the same way that Devonta Freeman is. Freeman's more of like that bulldog. Like, he's built like a bulldog. Whereas McKinnon's a crazy athlete, right? Like, he's just a, he's a super athlete and he's really struggled in that role. Like, he lost a, that role to Toby Gerhardt before. He lost that role to uh, Matt Asiata. <laughs> Uh, he lost that role to Latavius Murray. Like, he's lost that role to a lot of players. And I think that the Vikings, the Vikings drafted him to be that guy. And then the 49ers signed him to be that guy. And it's like, I think both teams have realized he's not that guy. And let's just, you know, accent what he does well. I think those are both really good points on Brita and McKinnon. So are you a Tevin Coleman guy or are you a stay away from the 49ers guy? Um, ideally stay away. There's going to be some weeks though. I mean, if I had to pick one that I'd say definitely he'd be the one that I predict to lead them in scoring, I'd say it's Tevin Coleman, but he also costs the most. I'd rather have Kenyon Drake than, than all those guys. All right. And right now Kenyon Drake is going a little bit higher. I actually think Brita and McKinnon are both more talented than Tevin just on eye test alone. 
But those two dudes are made out of glass, and Tevin Coleman has actually held up pretty well so far. So, um, yeah, it's just such a messy situation, man. I mean, like, give me the lowest-priced guy in in a draft as, like, my last running back, which I guess is probably going to be Burita. So, but I agree. At the same time, I agree with Tags. If he's, you said, what's his ECR? 43? 43, yeah. At running back? Yeah, I've got him at 47. And, and that's, for me, actually thinking he's pretty good, so... All right, Tag, so you mentioned Kenyon Drake. You mentioned the backup running backs. Is there someone who could be a starting running back that you've got as a potential, you know, breakout candidate? Yeah, I got a couple guys. Like, I, I've talked about Ronald Jones at nauseum, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I think he's a breakout candidate that you can get in the mid-rounds. Like, he's going as RB48 last I checked, which is just madness. Um, that's going to go up. Like, if, if you're drafting early, take advantage of that. So I don't need to talk about Ronald Jones anymore. But Rashad Penny is a breakout candidate. Agree. Even though I'm a Chris Carson guy, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Like he's someone that he might not even necessarily need a Chris Carson injury. And the reason I say that is because Carson, he's been in the league for two years. He's played 18 games. Like Carson has some health issues and like he plays that no nonsense style. It kind of throws him in harm's way. And it, he has, he's more prone to injury. I think I would say running the way that he does. Rashad Penny may have been a little bit out of shape when he came into to camp, but when he got opportunity last year, he looked mighty good. Um, and if this is, this is a team that lost Doug Baldwin, you know, they have DK Metcalf, who's considered to be a, a, a rough around the edges player where it's going to take some time to develop him. So if you're starting David Moore and Jerron Brown and Tyler Lockett as your starting wide receivers, and then you have, you know, Will Disley and Nick Vanette as your starting tight ends, you're not going to throw the ball much more than the 420 eight or whatever times it was last year. So they're going to be running the ball over 30 times per game. There's a role that could be had for both of them. You know, like Mike Davis is is no longer with the team. Mike Davis had over 120 touches last year. So, you know, Rashad Penny is going to walk in, take kind of both of those roles, and he might actually overtake Chris Carson at some point just because Carson can't stay on the field. So I think Rashad Penny is an excellent, like if you can get him outside the top 30 where it's like you're not drafting for your starters anymore and you're just looking for someone on your bench that has massive upside or even a flex spot, I think Penny can give you flex value even when Carson's healthy and maybe even more. I agree with that. Um, Pat, I'm wondering what you think about the Seattle backfield. If Carson is healthy and Rashad Penny's still there, do either of them have upside? I totally agree with what Tag said. I mean, I I don't think they're going to be as crazy run heavy as they were last year, no matter what Schottenheimer is saying. But like they clearly they're going to be run heavier than league average. And uh, I, I do think there is enough meat on the bone for both of these guys to be usable fantasy players. And, um, you know, Penny was just you mentioned the conditioning. And I, I think I've heard that he came to OTAs like in, in phenomenal shape, like it really paid attention to his conditioning and it was much lighter. Like, didn't he report to camp last year, like 235 or 240 or something ridiculous? Like. Yeah, like 20 pounds over his college playing weight. Like, dude, what are you doing? And, um, you know, we just saw hints of, like, the elusiveness this guy has. I, I wish I could remember the opponent, but he had some cutback run last year that just was jaw-dropping. And, um, you know, every time I watch him, I'm like, God, this is the guy I really want to draft next year. And even though, like you, Bobby, I'm a Carson fan, like, I do think there's room for both of these guys to be fantasy-viable uh players and and useful assets and my gosh if like one or the other gets hurt the other guy is just gonna feast yes yep i totally agree with that okay i've got a couple potential breakout guys here that uh could be starters same as last time i'm just gonna name a couple of them obviously i I think chris carson i've mentioned uh 
Dalvin Cook as, as somebody at the beginning of the show. I mean, prior to his injury, he was averaging 23.6 touches per game. Um, and then they came back and he, they were a little bit light with him. Towards the end of the season, he got back up to 20 touches pretty much every single game. And uh, he's extremely elusive. He broke more tackles per touch than anybody else in football uh, in terms of running back. So Dalvin Cook's got that upside. You know me. I, I love my the Vikings, apparently. Um, but my main guy is Marlon Mack. You think Marlon Mack is well tagged? I have him and Aaron Jones as like guys that you can get in the third or fourth round, and they legitimately have top five running back upside. Marlon Mack, he had three games with 25-plus carries last year. Ezekiel Elliott had three. Todd Gurley had two. Saquon Barkley had one. I, that's amazing. I mean, they, they can use him like a workhorse, and now that he's healthy going into the season, we've seen some big old games by Marlon Mack. They've maybe got the best offensive line in all of football. You know they're going to score because they've got Andrew Luck. Marlon Mack has, he has 2,000 yards from scrimmage upside. It's funny you guys mentioned Mack and Jones together. I was sitting, I'm, I'm doing a best ball draft right now, and I had the 11th pick of the third round, and I'm waiting to make this pick, and Marlon Mack and Aaron Jones are both sitting there and with like two picks to go before my pick, and I'm just so anxious to get my hands on either of them. And, of course, they both go consecutively right before me. So yeah, man, I love those guys. Um, and, and the offensive line that Mac is going to be running behind is just so terrific that it's hard to argue with that. You know, even with, uh, Naheem Hines having a role, even with Spencer Ware possibly contributing, like I think there's room for Mac to just get a steady 15 to 18 carries every week and just eats in a really good offense. Yep. I'm looking at uh, guys with 115-plus rushing yards and how many games they did it. Zeke did it five times, Saquon four, Chris Carson and Marlon Mack four, Todd Gurley at three, Adrian Peterson at three, C.J. Anderson at two, guys, and Gus Edwards at two. What in the world? Yeah, he didn't catch any passes, though, so he was— Yeah, you're right, and it's just Baltimore. That's what Lamar Jackson's effect has on the offense is— they're going to have to run the ball an absolute ton. Whoever the starting running back, whether it's Justice Hill, probably Mark Ingram. But if it is Justice Hill, he's got big time upside tags. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's and like the thing is, Mac, like the Indianapolis has told you over and over, he's our guy. And everybody's like, oh, there's some free agent running backs out there. We'll see. They brought in Jay for a visit. They were like, no, thanks. And it's like Spencer Ware came really, really cheap. And then the draft came and it's like they're going to draft a running back. And they didn't. So Marlon Mack is their guy. Uh, listen to them. He wasn't even fully healthy last year. So to know that he got all those touches when he did was, was saying something. So I, I do like Marlon Mack. He's tied to that big offense. And like, you know, just to touch on Aaron Jones before we move on to wide receivers is that Aaron Jones. Okay. So from week eight through week 14, when Aaron Jones was handed a workhorse role. Okay. And then he obviously got hurt later in the year, but when he was handed that workhorse role, weeks eight through 14, that's not like the smallest sample size. He averaged 17 touches per game, so he still wasn't involved in somewhat of a timeshare, but it wasn't much. 17 touches per game. That's what he needed. He was the number five running back in fantasy during that time. Aaron Jones came into shape like he apparently, some people took it as he lost weight, but he didn't. He added muscle and lost the fat, and like it all evened out, whatever the, the way it was. He weighs the exact same, but he added muscle. He's preparing for a workhorse role. I would like to think that Matt LaFleur has learned his lesson, like, oh, we need to go back and forth between Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. Well, he finally figured out at the end of the year we should probably go with Derrick Henry the better running back and they did and Aaron Jones is clearly the most talented running back on this team I like Aaron Jones like again top five upside so guys I mentioned Father's Day is coming up and it's really good timing because we just started selling gift cards on fantasypros.com if you go to the main website at the top of your screen you're going to see a link that you can get gift cards for your dad now again they're hard to shop for and uh, I would imagine if you love fantasy sports, your dad probably does as well. Get him hooked on fantasy pros 
with a Fantasy Pros gift card. And also, it's good timing because we're releasing My Playbook now. Tags, can you tell uh, the people a little bit about what My Playbook is? Yeah, so My Playbook, I use it actually a lot. Once I found out what it was and what it does, like, because the thing is, is like, we're, we're numb to a lot of things, right? There's so many things available to us. We overlook some of the best things, right? I played in 17 leagues last year. It's it's dumb. Like, I can't manage everything and, and properly keep track of everything. What My Playbook does, like, let's say that something came up on a Sunday morning and you got pulled. It was an emergency. You know, these things happen from time to time. It can You can set it up to automatically set your lineup. If someone's announced is out, it'll automatically switch it out for you. It's basically cheating, but you don't have to tell your league mates about it. So it, it manages your leagues for you. It tells you who the top waiver wire selections are. Seriously, check it out. It is fantastic, especially for those of you out there who are in multiple leagues. It organizes things so well. Like you, you can, you know, have Yahoo and ESPN and my fantasy league and sleeper bot all open at the same time. And it's just kind of like, man, this is so different. Or you can have it open on my playbook and make your picks, make your waiver wire additions and see your roster and see the best waiver wire options available to you based on what the experts say all on one screen, one click for all your leagues. And it is amazing. Uh, they have said on Reddit, Hey, this is cheating. It's outlawed in our league in some places. I wish I would have had that. Like when my uh, son got violently ill, like seven or eight years ago at 1130 AM on a Sunday, like right before a critical, like week nine where, you know, all my, all my playoff races are <laughs> in the balance and uh you know all of a sudden you're having to uh deal with a very sick child right before lineup lock probably one of those weeks where arian foster was a late scratch and everyone was just like bummed if they were at church you know what i mean (laughs) all right guys so wide receivers i'm looking at some of the breakouts from the last few years we've had uh, juju smith schuster appear adam thielen uh, marvin jones robert woods tyler lockett those are some of the names that have popped up tyree kill Uh, who are the guys that could do that this year we'll let you start again first pat how about Traquan Smith? You know, we had the big Monday night game against Washington last year with the two touchdowns that made him such a waiver wire darling the following week. And uh, then really only like one other big game when he went off against Philadelphia for like 10 catches and 157 yards. Not much else, though. But still, I think he finished like fifth in fantasy points per catch. Only 23 a guy who really produced early and often in his college career at UCF kind of broke out like at age 19 or 20, you know, and, and just the way that offense is set up, uh, obviously a, a pretty prolific offense. And, you know, they, they throw the jabs throughout the game with Michael Thomas, but they need a vertical guy to land the haymakers. And I think Traquan could be that guy. Like I realize Ted Ginn is there, but Traquan is 23 and Ted Ginn's 34 and getting hurt all the time. And I think he played like five games last year. So I just think this guy has a world of potential and uh, a guy you can probably get with a pretty late pick just because he briefly got hopes up last year and, and sort of dashed those hopes. But he is a guy I'm aggressively targeting this year. I think the upside is there. So because of his price, ADP 57, I'm definitely going to be having some shares. Now, not banking on him contributing, but if he does contribute, it could be really good. Tags, what do you think? He's like one of my favorites in best ball to grab because the Saints like seem to always have that that number two receiver that just pops off from time to time. And Traquan showed it last year. Now, Ginn says he's back in great shape and all that, yada, yada. But uh, again, the Saints did draft Traquan last year relatively high to where he was expected to go. So they liked him more than most. They're obviously in win now mode. 
the concern is like, you know, there, has their defense taken so much of a step forward that it's going to limit the pass attempts and can it support multiple, you know, top 30 wide receivers because Michael Thomas is going to be there. That's the only reason that I think it's going to be a little bit more volatile than I'd like. But if for whatever reason that defense starts off like they did last year, you're going to see more pass attempts and, you know, Drew Brees can get him the ball. So Traquan Smith, uh, it's kind of like that Juju scenario where it's like, you know, Antonio Brown was there. So you thought that Juju's upside might be limited, but it was able to support both of them because they both happen to be really, really good football players. Traquan flashed at times last year, so he's one of my like top guys to get in best ball leagues. So, Tags, we know your late-round targets. It's Devontae Parker. It's Marquise Brown. It's John Ross. Is it one of these guys you're going with here today in the late in the deep range, or do you have somebody else for us? You had two of them. Marquise Brown is like, okay, I, I like him more in Dynasty. I like buying him more in Dynasty. I think his, his redraft prices, it's not bad right now, but Parker is 100% on that list. Uh, John Ross is... <laughs> He's being drafted as the 91st wide receiver, guys. Like, he's going after Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, he's the number three wide receiver in Andy Dalton's offense. So I-, I I get it, but it's the Rams offense that we're talking about. Like, and Zach Taylor bringing in the Rams offense. I just think that there's potential for more. Anyways, I was, I'm not going to talk about John Ross. I'm not going to talk about Devontae Parker. We all know. Uh, but true breakout, you know, James Washington is a guy that um, we've talked about. On, Took my dude. We talked about on the show. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to come around and like realizing the parallels between him and Devontae Adams. The, the, the start to their careers is like, you know, a lot of people did like Devontae. You know, the, the Packers drafted him relatively high for what they would with a wide receiver. You know, you had the, the Steelers spend, a, I think it was a second round pick on James Washington. Uh, he came into camp a little heavy, uh, I guess. But they said in practice, he's looked fantastic. Uh, ben Roethlisberger continues to say good things about him, saying, hey, he looks fantastic. It's just translating into the game. We'll get there. And then, you know, we had Jake Seeley on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. He said he actually got a chance to talk to Mike Tomlin on his show. And uh, Mike Tomlin said, we like James Washington just as much as we like Juju Smith-Schuster when we drafted him. So, and they're still in love with the guy. Dante Moncrief is not someone to worry about. Juju's going to get his, that's fine. But there are plenty of targets to go around. And James Washington lost, I think they said 15 to 20 pounds, which is not a bad thing for someone like him. Because he's a guy that, he's kind of built like a running back. And you always wondered, like, how's that going to work when he gets to the NFL? I remember last preseason, he made like this highlight reel. There was like a two touchdown game in the preseason and everybody jacked him up their, their draft boards. That talent is still there. And now the targets are going to be there to follow. So I think James Washington has legitimate, you know, top 25 wide receiver upside. I think he has more. Imagine if Juju Smith-Schuster was to get hurt. I don't want to imagine Juju getting hurt. I'm not putting that Juju on Juju. Yeah, me either, man. I mean, Antonio Brown had 168 targets last year. How many of those is Moncrief getting? Let's be realistic. 60? Yeah, well, they're not going to throw 670 sometimes either, but... Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I think that James Washington realistically his targets. I think you could project him for somewhere in the 80 to 100 range. And, you know, from Roethlisberger, if he's on his game, those can be valuable targets. Yep. Yep. Some of them are probably going to go to Juju from Antonio Brown because Juju is going to be the clear number one now. But, you know, if he's not in the slot anymore, I don't know if Juju is really going to get that much better because he's going to have a lot more competition on the outside. You mentioned John Ross tags. Can I bring up a counterpoint and a guy I would rather have came up in sort of the same way that John Ross did? I would rather have Philip Dorsett in a sort of muddy wide receiver situation for the Patriots behind Edelman, obviously, and Nikhil Harry. And I, I think Dorsett is going to wind up being the third guy there. And like Ross, he was a guy who just melted stopwatches at the combine and then gets overdrafted, like grossly overdrafted. And, you know, Dorsett, not surprisingly, busted the first couple of years after Ryan Grigson, you know, the ill-advised first round pick on Dorsett. 
But like Dorsett has made himself into a pretty good receiver now. And I know his yards per catch were kind of low last year, but it seemed like he was earning Tom Brady's trust as a red zone target too, which is kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, whereas he was sort of cast as just this pure speed merchant early in his career. Like I think he's got some nuance to his game now and. I think he could carve out like an interesting little role there. Not necessarily a guy you're going to be starting every week, but a guy who's maybe like one injury away from being a guy you could start. So like I'd actually rather invest in him, I think, than John Ross. You know what's funny about that? I did an article for best ball guys like to target in the later rounds. And I had Philip Dorsett in there as well, uh, because I think Dorsett is being a little overlooked because the, the reason I, that I would say that I'd rather have Ross is because we've seen Ross go through one coach and it's Marvin Lewis, like the most boring offense in the friggin' world. And I, I'm holding out hope of what I thought of John Ross when he came into the league is that he's more than just a speed guy. He's a route runner. He's not the biggest guy that can withstand all the hits or anything like that, but it basically, you, you need to use him in a different way than just stretch the field as a four, two guy. Um, Whereas Philip Dorsett has been through multiple coaching staffs. And I think that it, it says something when I see, when I've seen someone go through multiple coaching staffs and never seen them really support fantasy production. And it's like, it tells me that it's like, okay, a few coaches have kind of believed that he's a role player. And it's not to say that Philip Dorsett can't step into being more than that with Tom Brady because they are lacking some wide receiver options on that team. But I just, I feel like we know a little bit more about Philip Dorsett than we do, do John Ross, just because there's been a, a much bigger sample size. But I think that I would actually say that they're both in similar territory. I'd rather have Ross, but they're in similar territory. And I think they're both fantastic best ball targets. I agree that Ross was definitely the better college player. And I think what Dorsett has going for him is the better quarterback and maybe less positional competition. Agree. Yeah, I think that's all definitely fair. And Dorsett did have three games of 16 plus fantasy points last year. Um, I've got a couple names here again. I'm, I'm not going to talk about David Moore too much. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, all those guys, Jake Kumaro, Equinemia St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Geronimo Allison. Any of those guys have a ton of talent. I want to talk about what happens if DeAndre Hopkins gets hurt. Is Will Fuller going to be a 120 target guy or is Kiki QT going to lead the league in receptions? I think it's the second. <laughs> it's possible that Kiki QT would lead the league in receptions. 100%. I actually agree with that. Now, Fuller would probably bump up into, he'd become like a T.Y. Hilton. So I think it's possible that he actually is someone that might get 120 targets. Um, if, if something happened to Hopkins, that's a good comp. T.Y. Hilton to, to Will Fuller. If he was in that role without DeAndre Hopkins there. Yeah, that's good. Right, where he's not a jump ball guy, he's not going to be a big red zone guy, but he is going to stretch the field, he can be used all over, they can move him into the slot at times, but QT is a, he would definitely be a candidate to lead the league in receptions. It's funny, man, but it is absolutely true, and same kind of thing, I don't really like rookie wide receivers, but if T.Y. Hilton was to get hurt, I think Paris Campbell would be the number one in Indianapolis. Hold on a second, there's news on that, so Paris Campbell's not even with the first team offense right now, they're saying that... They're saying that Funches has done really well in red zone drills. They're saying that uh, Chester Rogers, which I don't, I'm not buying into this, but they're saying that Rogers had a really good camp and that Paris Campbell is working with the second team offense right now. Yeah. And same thing with Sammy Watkins, who we know has been injury prone. What if Hardman is the wide receiver one for Patrick Mahomes going into the season? How high would you draft him? I'm not buying it. I think Demarcus Robinson would be more valuable. You think Demarcus Robinson would be the number one? Okay. I think he would. Um, I, I, I have a hard time thinking the Hardman is going to like walk into like immediate fantasy production. Not only is he a rookie, which that's just, it's just a rare scenario where you get a rookie to produce that way. Um, but on top of that, Hardman wasn't looked at as someone that was like a crazy talent. He's not, but I think he's polished. I think he's ready as a rookie. Pat, I could be wrong. Bobby, I could be wrong. I, I, I don't remember anyone having Hardman in their top 10 wide receivers pre-draft. Because I don't think he was a starter for most of his career at Georgia. 
Like, I don't think he was, did he start even half his games? And I've heard someone say who, like, watched him at Georgia say that they think it's going to take a year before he he really digs in and, and starts making noise there. I mean, what about Demarcus Robinson as a, a guy from the Chiefs who could possibly be an under-the-radar guy? I just took him in our Fantasy Pros Invitational, man. He was available. I took him in our rookie draft, so it was a rookie and veteran. You sniped me. That's what you did. You sniped me. He was a guy I was starting to think about when you, right when you grabbed him. Yeah. It's a good one, man. They should have kept Chris Conley. This could be Chris Conley season. Oh, stop it. Now he's like the sixth wide receiver on the Jags. <laughs> Speaking of a, a deep guy like that, when a smart person like Tags takes him, you should know something's up. Like, what about Sean Corner taking Brashad Perryman? Sold. Sold. <laughs> yes, man. A guy who really started clicked and like Perryman looked really good late last year. Like it wasn't just numbers. It was actually, you know, performing getting open making tough catches like he looked very good like i think they're gonna have godwin more in that role but uh, the thing is perriman i wasn't even a fan of perriman coming out of college i didn't like him very much um but he played much better with baker mayfield than he did with joe flacco and that i mean that's that's kind of been the case with every wide receiver but uh, perriman <laughs> a flyer the reason that's hard to like perriman so much is because like mike evans chris godwin oj howard there's just so many like talented players there it's like one injury doesn't boost him into the hundred target territory but he is someone that I think that people are overlooking a little bit. I wasn't a big fan, but I didn't think he sucked as bad as he did in Baltimore. All right, guys, let's go with uh, one more wide receiver, and we'll move a little bit quicker here so we can get into quarterbacks and tight ends as well. Pat, who do you have? How about Albert Wilson? Uh, I know oh, man. <laughs> Miami isn't really fertile territory for looking for wide receivers, but they are going to be in a lot of negative game scripts, you would imagine, this year. And uh, Albert Wilson was, you know, doing some pretty nice things last year before he got hurt. I just think he is going to be very likely their target leader and reception leader if he stays healthy. And, uh, you know, in the uh, YOLO Fitzpatrick offense, if, if indeed he plays some and it's not Josh Rosen starting all year, uh, that could be maybe pretty lucrative from a fantasy standpoint. I love him for best ball. I, I don't know how high I believe his ceiling is, but someone's going to do it in Miami. So, uh, Tex, what do you think about this? I have Devontae Parker higher, but I, I will tell you this. I have Albert Wilson as my wide receiver 58, so I'm higher than him on, than most. I think Albert Wilson is a solid player. Like, I don't think he's going to be a number one in an offense or anything like that, but I think he is a solid player that can play a role. Like, I don't know if Albert Wilson will win you a league or anything like that, but I do believe that he's a solid player, and I have him, I have him higher the, than the consensus. Tags, who are you going with for your second name? Uh, mine, I'm just going to go up to like uh, guys that could be drafted in the middle rounds that could potentially give you that you know top ten upside, which is really hard to find. But Mike Williams and Chris Godwin, uh, those guys are on that list for me. I think Godwin. You know, we've talked about Mike Evans. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's a big guy. Um, I don't know if he's the greatest wide receiver. Like, if he wasn't blessed physically, I don't think that he would have like overcame it. If he was six foot one, I don't think Mike Evans' skill set would have overcome what he lacks to become like a fantasy superstar. Whereas Chris Godwin is a fantastic wide receiver. Um, he is going to be, he is the number two right now, which, so I don't want to say that Mike Evans is not the number one because he is, but I like Godwin an awful lot. There's a chance for a breakout, but Mike Williams is the one. Like, he's the guy that is being drafted outside the top 25 receivers. 
has legitimate top 10 upside guys like it wouldn't surprise me if he passes Keenan Allen with Keenan Allen healthy they play different roles so Keenan Allen's going to play slot almost exclusively now um, but then you have Hunter Henry competing for some of those targets over the middle of the field whereas Mike Williams is going to be a red zone guy Keenan Allen was never the red zone like guy like that he would go to continually so it's possible that Mike Williams has become like the new Antonio Gates like they developed that connection last year was his rookie season guys uh, like you can go back to 2017 he dealt with that back issue I know he came back for a few games at the end of the year but and what was likely his kind of his rookie season, he scored 10 touchdowns on 66 targets in a part-time role. Tyrell Williams is gone. I think Mike Williams is going to be around that 100 target mark. And the guy has obviously has double-digit touchdown upside. You know, the sky is the limit with him. I'm not going to go with Sammy Watkins. He's kind of cheating, right? I mean, if Tyree kills out, everyone knows Sammy Watkins could be a top 10 guy, maybe top five even. I think Amari Cooper has a chance to be the number one fantasy wide receiver this year. He was right up there without knowing the playbook in Dallas after he came. He's the obvious number one. He's going to get a ton of targets, incredible route runner, and I think he's got that kind of upside, guys. If I had Amari Cooper, Sammy Watkins, and uh, Mike Williams as my top three, I'd actually be pretty happy with that as my top three in fantasy. Mm -hmm. You guys know my Amari love. It knows no bounds. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't disagree. You think he could be, at the end of the season, fantasy wide receiver number one? Do I think that it's possible? I guess possible. I mean, I, I wouldn't predict it. I think that's very bold. Um, to say he'd finish like top five, I could see that, but it's difficult for me to pass Devante, Hopkins, Julio, Michael Thomas. Uh, but I could see him in that Odell Beckham range. All right, guys, let's move on over, uh, to quarterbacks and tight ends. And this will be kind of like we just did with a wide receiver too, a little bit faster because breakout quarterbacks and tight ends are, it's a lot more volatile and harder to predict. You're probably not going to win your league with one of these guys unless we get the next Patrick Mahomes. It's more than likely going to be not as important. So let's start at quarterback and I've got a good name. Don't steal him, Pat. <laughs> okay. How about Jimmy Garoppolo? Rough opener, obviously missed most of last year and, uh, only had, what, three starts, kind of a rough opener against the Vikings where he threw the three interceptions, but then decent games against the Lions and Chiefs. But he was so good down the stretch in 2017, like with his five or six starts, I think, and and just averaging around 300 yards per start. He was fantastic, and he's got that picture-perfect release, man. He just looks so good, not just because he's really handsome, but uh has a sharp, quick release. Pretty good weapons. Uh, you know, I don't know if the, the wide receivers are in total above average since, you know, they're pretty young with Pettis and now Debo Samuel. But I mean, George Kittle, obviously, an elite tight end. And, uh, you know, all those running backs are, are decent pass catchers at least. So I don't know, man. I, I'm not a full-fledged member of the Kyle Shanahan cult, but uh, I'm at least interested enough that I'm reading the pamphlets like, I think <laughs> I think a quarterback of of Garoppolo's talent in a Kyle Shanahan offense like should interest people and uh he's a guy who's going around like what QB 20 QB 21 and I think he could definitely surpass that in performance Garoppolo is uh is someone that it's 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 tough because I actually have him ranked higher than most do. Uh, I have him at QB 17. Uh, the reason that I'm unable to move him any higher than that is because he offers nothing with his legs. And uh as we see with guys like Philip Rivers, who's a phenomenal quarterback, like just 
phenomenal, right? No matter how well he does with his passing, he's really limited in his ceiling where it's like his ceiling is probably QB 10 in terms of like how much they're throwing the ball, um, you know, like how much he doesn't run the ball. And it's like Garoppolo, I don't consider him that as a passer. I don't think his pass catchers are as talented as Phillip Rivers are. So it's just, that's where it's difficult. I do think that Garoppolo is going to finish as a top 18 fantasy quarterback. I think that's a lock. I think he's like one of the best number two quarterbacks to have in a two quarterback league without spending too much equity uh the quarterback position because he's not going to lose his job uh he's going to be solid uh, i just don't know if the upside is there but I, I again he's another guy that i think pat you and i agree on a lot of stuff and like this is another thing we agree i'm higher on garoppolo than most i just don't know if he has like top five upside i'm gonna disagree with you tags and i was on this board um because he, he doesn't run the ball and you kind of need that right how much does matt ryan run the ball he had 125 yards rushing last year, and Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to be around 60, uh, right? That's a six-point difference. Having Julio Jones helps. That's one and a half passing touchdowns. Matt Ryan was the QB number two. If you take Jimmy Garoppolo in the five games he started in 2017, again, when he did not know the playbook, he was on pace, prorated for 4,934 passing yards. His touchdown rate was low. Let's put him at a 5% touchdown rate, Okay. That's 29 passing touchdowns with 4,900 yards. Even if he throws 12 interceptions, you know what that was last year? QB2 without any rushing yards. But wait, hold on. With his starts last year and the three starts he had last year, I don't think his yardage pace was that high. Like, I, I look... I was just going with 2017. I'm just saying that's the type of upside I think that Jimmy Garoppolo could have. 4,900 yards, 29 passing touchdowns. The pass catchers worry me. I just don't think there's enough talent yet or like undeveloped talent, I should say, because Pettis and, and Samuel are pretty raw uh, as wide receivers. But yeah, I mean, I think we all agree that he's better than his ADP is currently sitting at. Who was he doing it with in 2017? Pierre Garçon and Marquise Goodwin? Yeah, and he didn't really have George. George Kittle was there, but he wasn't George Kittle. Yeah, Carlos Hyde, man. I'm totally messing around. <laughs> okay, who do you have at quarterback tag? I'm not going to mention Jameis Winston. We've talked about him uh, so much. I also probably shouldn't mention Mitch Trubisky because I talked about him a lot, but <laughs> we've talked about those guys for a reason. Mitch Trubisky has Cam Newton type upside in terms of like what he can offer. I believe he actually has top five quarterback upside in fantasy. I'm not telling you, please, for the love of God, don't take this as it's me telling you that Mitch Trubisky is a top five quarterback in the NFL because he's not. Okay, like... Don't do that. But I'm talking about pure fantasy here. Um, I actually think that Kyler Murray is someone that I would, and this, this, this is, here we go again. This is a, uh, I'm not talking about a, a, from a talent standpoint. I have my concerns about Kyler Murray. I really do as a professional. I, I, I wouldn't have drafted him number one overall. Um, I think that even in dynasty, he's a bit overvalued, but in redraft, I think he has tremendous value right now. Um, I think that he's a guy that comes with, you know, top eight, maybe top six fantasy quarterback upside. If, if Cliff Kingsbury is talking about running, you know, I know, I know they joked about it, 90 to 95 plays, but I'm, I'm, I'll say around 70. If they run 70 plays per game, which is possible, uh, that defense is going to be not so good, especially without Patrick Peterson for the first month of the season. I think that the attempts are going to be there. Uh, he's going to obviously run the ball quite a bit. Uh, the pass catchers, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is solid. Christian Kirk showed the ability to get open on the perimeter last year. Um, you know, a lot of people like who they brought in. Hakeem Butler has true number one upside, but there's a very, you know, we don't know much about him. There isn't a big sample size with him. And then obviously Andy Isabella acting as like, he's like a Tyler Lockett type player. So the, the options are there. The offensive line's not like his offensive line is going to suck compared to what it did at, <laughs> at Oklahoma. So that's the biggest worry for me with him. But if he starts running the ball and they're running all these plays, 
that's where Kyler Murray is going to present that upside because, again, you don't have to be a great quarterback to finish as a top eight fantasy quarterback, and that's kind of where I think Kyler Murray has a potential to finish. 2012, Robert Griffin III was the number five fantasy quarterback as a rookie. Cam Newton was the number one, wasn't he, as, as a rookie or a number two fantasy quarterback as a rookie? And he wasn't a good passer. Uh, Cam Newton as a rookie was QB3. QB3, there you go. I'm totally with you on Kyler Tags. Uh, just, you know, the, the potential passing volume and the fact that he's going to run so much and do so much damage with his legs. And I, like, I've got him QB 10 and I'm pretty sure the action network guys, uh, Sean Corner, Chris Raybon, Matt Friedman, bunch of guys who are smarter than I am. I think they were talking about him as a top five quarterback, like being confident that, you know, they would draft him like QB six, QB seven, QB five, somewhere in there. And uh, still expect to, to make a profit off him. So massive upside there. All right, guys. For my quarterback, we're going to play the game, Who Am I? All right. I've got a quarterback here with four years of starting experience compared to Tom Brady. In Tom Brady's career, okay, games that Tom Brady has started, my quarterback has a much higher completion percentage, 67.8. Tom Brady's at 64.1. He has the same 28 touchdowns per 16 games. He averages more passing yards per game than Tom Brady. And in the last four years, in those four years he started, 14 rushing touchdowns. My quarterback is being drafted outside the top 20 by the experts. I was going to guess Derek Carr until you said the rushing touchdowns. Yeah, it's not him. I was going to guess Jameis. I'm looking for somebody who, you know, just every single year, it's the guy who breaks out, right? Oh, it's Dak, isn't it? Whether it's Matt Ryan, whether it's Patrick Mahomes, it's the guy who has a high touchdown percentage. I want someone who's going to throw the ball 600 times and just flirt with that six, seven touchdown percentage and get to 35 passing touchdowns, 40 passing touchdowns. It's Kirk Cousins, guys. He threw the ball 606 times last year. We've seen him throw for 4,800 yards in a season. 4,900 yards, actually, I believe, one year. Um, and if he gets to that, finally, if he gets to that 6 7% touchdown rate, and it's going to happen eventually. If he plays long enough, it's going to happen. He's been at 5.3, 4.1, 5.0, 5.0. Those touchdown rates are volatile over a small 16-game sample size. He gets to 7.0. We're looking at Kirk Cousins maybe being the number one fantasy quarterback, guys. I was going to say, cause like I have a, I see his ADP at 16 because like I, I actually have cousins up at 14. I think he's being so undervalued right now. Yeah. His ECR is 21, man. Oh, ECR. I was going to say his ADP is 16 right now, which is more like, I don't know where the, what the experts are thinking on this one. I would take cousins over Carson Wentz. I think. I think so too, man. He's got Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs. He's got Dalvin Cook, Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith Jr. He's got a lot of talent on that receiving core. Can I speak for the uh, Kirk Cousins haters? All right, I'm not really a hater, but I've... I've... He's, he's not going to win any games. It's, I mean, it's Kirk Cousins, <laughs> but in terms of fantasy, I think he has the upside. So, I mean, I think the quarterbacks are... The rankings are pretty flat from, like, QB 12 to QB 25 or so. Like, not a, a giant... Like, it's one vast plane, you know, not just a tier, an entire plane. But I think the thing that freaks me out about Cousins and, like, I think he's talented. I think he's got these great wide receivers. I think Mike Zimmer wants to go prehistoric with that offense. And we kind of saw it with their game plans after they fired John Filippo last year. And, like, I don't know what kind of offense Kevin Stefanski is going to have, but it just concerns me that, like, basically Zimmer said that they wanted to run the ball more and made the change at offensive coordinator. And then they became like a, God, what, 55%, 60% running team last year. Now, I don't think that best suits their personnel necessarily, but it just concerns me. Like, I do not think this is going to be a wide open offense at all. 
and uh, I think that's going to limit Cousins' upside a bit. I think there's definitely a chance. You look at those game logs over the last four weeks. In the first 12 weeks, he was averaging 41 pass attempts per game. In the final four weeks, he averaged just 29. They were trying to take the ball out of his hands, apparently, and it didn't work because they didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. I don't know. All right, guys, let's move on over to tight end them really quick. Uh, who do you have, Pat? Darren Waller. Ooh. Wow. A, a guy who's probably not on a lot of people's radars. And I'm talking about like a, a second tight end in leagues where the rosters are deep enough that you're drafting to. Just an intriguing guy because he was suspended all last season for violating the league substance abuse program. And, uh, you know, not like big numbers in college because he played at Georgia Tech where they run the, the triple option. But this guy is just a physical freak, like 6'6". And when you see this guy, he is just built like a giant condor. His wingspan is insane. And like his athleticism is off the charts. He's like a, a sub 4'5 speed guy at tight end. He's huge. He's like an explosive leaper. This guy is potentially a, a great red zone weapon on a team that really has not much uh, pass catching talent beyond Antonio Brown. So like he's a, he's one to watch. Just, um, you know, not a guy I'm, I'm predicting necessarily to finish as a tight end one, but a guy who has that kind of upside and is like not being drafted, basically free in drafts right now. Tags, is your guy Vance McDonald? Yeah, I didn't go as deep because like the thing is for me, if, if I'm not picking one of the top, like, you know, five tight ends, I'm, I'm, ba- I'm going to stream the position. And, but if you're looking for someone that has the potential to get into the top five and that's like, we're, we're like a breakout star. I think Vance McDonald is the guy I would definitely go with just because the opportunity is going to be there, uh, losing Antonio Brown and, you know, Jesse James. There's a lot of targets that opened up. They didn't draft a tight end until the fifth round in a very tight end rich draft, which tells me they have faith in McDonald, but they needed someone as depth essentially behind him. And McDonald, when he gets targeted, he's been really good. I mean, he finished the top 12 fantasy tight end last year with James, with Brown on the roster. Again, it, it, it's very up and down. So I'm not going to sit here and say he was a great tight end. Like you would rather have him than 12 other tight ends last year. But this year, I would happen to say, if he stays healthy and on the field, I would say he's practically a lock to finish as a top eight fantasy tight end with upside for more. So Vance McDonald, like, if you're one of those guys that's just like, I'm just, I'm going to wait a tight end, but I want someone that gives me that potential to do that. I think Vance McDonald's the guy. Guys, I have no idea who the next Gary Barnage is going to be. There's going to be somebody. There always is. Hayden Hurst. I'm kidding. Hayden Hurst? Yeah, I, I don't, I like Hayden Hurst. Him and Andrew Sherry. But Hayden Hurst is not Gary Barnage. Gary Barnage was like ADP 54 tight end that year. Um, stuff like that does happen. But for me, it's, you know, is Zach Ertz going to get hurt? Is OJ Howard going to get hurt? If it is, Cameron Brake could be awesome. Dallas Goddard would be a top three tight end in my mind. You know that I love Dallas Goddard. Um, but then it's the other boring guys that we've seen do it before and tags. These are guys you've mentioned. Jordan Reed. Jimmy Graham, I think that everyone is sleeping on them, and they've got this kind of top five up. Jordan Reed, awesome. Uh, I was looking through some numbers yesterday. Did you know? Okay, this is fun. Jordan Reed's played 65 career games. Zach Ertz has played 90, uh, even though I think Jordan Reed might have been in the league longer. Uh, but in the games they play, Jordan Reed has been a uh, PPR tight end one or better, like performance-wise, 49.2% of the time. Zach Ertz, 489 
Those are huge numbers. Those are really good numbers. And that's the thing is that like, obviously Jordan Reed's being drafted nowhere near Zach Ertz. Uh, but Jordan Reed still is the best receiver on Washington. And I have him as my number 14 tight end. Um, just cause there's injury risk baked in, but he absolutely has top five tight end upside. If you knew he was playing 16 games, would you rank him in your top five? I would rank him as my number seven tight end. Probably. What do you think about this one, Pat? Uh, anything with Jordan Reed, Jimmy Graham, any love? So we know Graham really isn't the same sort of explosive athlete he used to be with the Saints way back in the day. But, you know, there's still obviously like he he definitely has like eight to ten touchdown upside in Green Bay, you know, with when they don't really have uh, much proven pass catching talent beyond Devontae. And with Reed, like I just I don't know if he's still the same explosive athlete. Like, I didn't really see it last year. Like, I don't know that he's not, but I don't know that he is either. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about that. And if he doesn't have the crazy athleticism and still has the scary injury history, like, what are we left with? So I'm probably not going to wind up with a lot of them. And this was coming off a year where last year I, I dipped my toe in the water more with him in drafts than I ever had before. And it just, like, I wasn't bitterly disappointed. It just kind of didn't work out. But, um... Yeah, I mean, like a little bit of trepidation, and there is always a wave of like pro Jordan Reed articles every year in August, and I think that always spikes uh, ADP like during draft season. So I'm I'm probably out this year. All right, guys, that's all for today's show. Pat, this was a lot of fun, and we did go a little bit longer, but um, you know we love the breakout candidate episodes. I hope you all enjoyed the bonus content. Oh, I had a blast, you guys. It's always fun coming on with you, and uh, let's all tee it up really soon. Sounds good, man. All right, and everyone give Pat a follow on Twitter if you don't already, at Fitz underscore FF. Tags in our at Mike Teglier NFL and at Bobby Fantasy Pro. And make sure to check out Pristine Auction or the FantasyPros.com gift cards for your Father's Day endeavors. Again, that's pristineauction.com, P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And when you do sign up for them, make sure to enter in the registration code FANTASYPROS, all one word. That way we can keep doing the giveaways at fantasypros.com slash contest. We're giving away a signed Juju Smith-Schuster Steelers helmet. For Mike Tagliere and Pat Fitzmorris, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me.